Yeah, it's been a little while um, since they've been here, but we had a great time. I even tried to fix Daniel's car. That was, BMW brakes are a little more difficult than like just normal Chevy brakes, if you didn't know that. So, and in in fairness, it was, we were borrowing a BMW. Yeah, and you were, you you were borrowing it, which was even worse that I ruined the BMW brakes that didn't belong to you. Um, But I I always, when we have uh, missionaries here and people here, I, I do like to remind us of the importance of missions and uh, get us thinking biblically about missions. And so I'm going to do that for one minute, or maybe two minutes, three, whatever. I'm a pastor, talk for a long time. Um, uh, Remind us of that. And then we're going to spend some time together, and we want to hear about what's going on in your ministry. And so one of the places that uh, I think about when I think about missions is in Genesis 12. And you were just telling me, you were looking at our sermon notes today, when you first were here in 2013 trying to raise support, you preached out of Genesis 12. Um, basically, between Genesis uh, 1 and 12, what we have is the story, story of fallen humanity and people moving away from God and God trying to get humanity back and really trying to set aside a people for himself. Adam and Eve uh, were in a relationship with God. They were walking with God, and then they fallen from that relationship and really distorted humanity, distorted who we are and um, explains a lot of the brokenness that we experience and have in the world. And Adam and Eve are basically historical representatives of us um, and who we are and what we've become. But God was on a mission from the very beginning to restore humanity to himself. And in Genesis 12, what you see God doing is he is calling out a particular person to go start a particular people, God's people on his behalf to be a nation uh, that blesses the entire world. And so we see it in Genesis 12 here, and it says, now the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram here, go from your country and your, kin- and your kindred to your father's, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so right from the very beginning uh, in Genesis 12, what we see is that God is calling Abram, who becomes Abraham, out of everything that he knows, out of the place that he had lived, he was a farmer along with his family, land they owned, everything. I'm going to call you out of this, and you are going to go, you're going to leave that behind, and I will make you a great nation. Now, God is going to give a problem or a promise to Abraham, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He continues here and said, right? Come on. There we go. Okay. And I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. And so God calls Abraham out, and he sends him out, and he's going to give him a particular place to go, and he's going to start a particular people, and these people are going to be God's people. They are going to be a holy nation, and the purpose of God's people is to be a blessing to the entire world. That was Abraham's purpose, that they were going to follow God, and at this point in time, people were going to see God's people. They were going to be drawn to God's people. And then God's people, in turn, would bless them as they showed God to the entire world through their following the Lord. Now, we get to the end of the Bible. This is the beginning of the Bible. We get to the end of the Bible, and what we see is this. This is a vision that John has. It's been given him to him by the Spirit of God. And this is a vision of heaven. Now, heaven is best defined as being in the presence of God. That's the best way to define it. It's not just somewhere you go after you die or anything like that. I mean, it is that if you're a follower of Christ. But if we were just to define it kind of what heaven is, it's to be in God's presence. And so what we have here is this vision of heaven 
And it says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every, tri- or from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne room and before the land, clothed in white robes, with palm branches, and in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And so what you have at the end of all things is you have this worship service of people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, from the entire earth, Praising God. Praising God. Now, why would they do that? God just started with one small people in one small place. We know this place as Israel. How did it get to go, how did it get everywhere else? Well, here's how it has gotten everywhere else by the end times here. Keep going. Uh, Matthew 28, uh, 19 through 20. And this is known as the Great Commission. This is the last command that Jesus gives us. This is the most important command that Jesus gives us. This is basically the mission of the church. If the church is not doing this, we are not doing what we should be doing. We're off mission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So one of God's first commands in Genesis 12 is for Abraham to go, is to leave is to be on mission. That's what it takes to be God's people, is to see yourself as goers. It doesn't mean that you're going to leave everybody in this room. It's called to leave their families. It's called to leave their country. It's called to leave their community. But you are to be goers, at least within those places and people, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. God has always had a heart for all people. He has always had a heart for the entire world. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age. And so what we see here is Jesus sending people out and saying, I don't want you just to love your neighbors, I don't want you just to share with your neighbors, but I want you to share with the nations. Not all of us, not all of us are going to be people who go to the nations, but God has called people specifically to go to the nations and I believe that he has called us specifically to encourage the people who do and support them. And that's why we support and pray for missionaries. Um, we pray for missionaries every week. Um, and that's why we support them as a church is because we have a biblical mandate to do so. And um, I don't know, you might hear that too. And maybe God is putting on your heart, say, hey, maybe he's calling you to missions. Um, or maybe he's calling you to support them in a bigger way. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I want to get to the Kemp's um, who are here. And I want to thank you again just for being here. And um, begin with you guys just telling us a little bit about yourselves. So go ahead. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, and as Pastor Josh indicated, in September of 2013, when we were preparing to move to the Netherlands, um, I came here. At that time, Christy and Sophie stayed in Indiana. Uh, because Sophie was very young, and I came here and uh, preached, and this was uh, prior to you being here even, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I used that text from Genesis 12 and talked about what does it mean as as followers of of Christ, as people of God, um, God calls us to go, and God calls us to do things, and we must trust him and follow, and at that point, um, you all as a congregation um, signed on to support us with prayers and with financial offerings and um, We've been, we're so grateful for that, and it, it means the world to us knowing that 
that all along, ever since then, you guys are supporting us and you have our backs. And uh, every now and then we get messages, uh, usually from that lady right there. Um, and uh, it means a lot knowing that you are praying for us and that uh, you uh, care about us and our family and our ministry. Um, really quickly, uh, my name's Daniel. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. This is my wife, Christy, and she is from Central Indiana. Um, we met in college at Anderson University, um, and uh, after graduation, we stayed in Anderson for a while, and I pastored the Maple Grove Church of God for almost a decade. That's the church that Pastor Doug was at uh, a little before my time, but he was there too. Um, and, and yeah. And, and with us today, we have our nine-year-old daughter, Sophie, is here. Hi, Sophie. She's got the cute panda dress. And my mom is here with us, too, today. So, yeah. <laughs> you guys are a part of a mission team, a uh, group of missionaries uh, with Global Strategy, but then there's another smaller group called Three Worlds. Explain what that means. So maybe you want to talk about where you're from and all those sorts Great. of things to talk about the context there. Um, I think the next slide has a picture of our team here. Um, so I'll talk about the slides and you can fill Great. in what, I, what I forget. But this, these are the, the five, no, we're six families now that operate for the Church of God in Europe and the Middle East. So we have a family in southern Germany, a family in northern Germany. We are in Budapest, Hungary. Um, we have two families in Madrid, Spain, and one family in Liverpool, England. So you can see their faces up here. Um, and any of you that have uh, worked or heard about Pink Door and the Ministry with Anti-Human Trafficking, uh, one of our colleagues, also the Phillips family, works with them also. Um, and then the next slide shows our region, I believe. Yes. So I know it's, yeah, hopefully you can see that a little bit. I tried to over-highlight and yell <laughs> where, where Hungary is in Europe and the Middle East. But we have, um, I believe now, 14 different uh, congregations, or, or sorry, 14 countries represented in Europe and the Middle East that have a Church of God presence in them. And so as a team, we cover that whole region. And so we're, we live in one country, but we also then work and travel um, because of cheap flights and things. It's possible for us to travel across borders usually. Um, uh, with some exceptions, like it is for us to travel here in the States. So that helps us be able to, to cover all that. And just like here, uh, sometimes you cross the border and gas is a lot cheaper. So yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> The next slide um, talks a little bit about the three worlds of Christianity, which is what our team name comes after. So Dan, you want to talk sure. about that for a second? So um, in short, in Europe, in the Middle East, um, we have three different worlds, if you will, three different geographic and historic worlds. Eastern Europe is different from Western Europe. Middle East is very different too. So three different historic and geographic worlds, but even within the realm of Christianity, there are three different worlds. There's the traditional world, which is um, folks in, in, in places who grew up hearing about the church and recognizing the church to be a good, positive thing. Um, so they're familiar with some of the Christian language that we use. If we say, hey, we're gonna have a Bible study, they know, oh, okay, you know, I know what that is. It's not a foreign concept to them. Uh, the second world is the non-Western world. And in our region, that's mostly made up of immigrant groups from outside of, quote unquote, the West, who have migrated to Europe, sometimes for um, refugee purposes, sometimes for just economic purposes. They can uh, find much better um, uh, uh, job opportunities. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, and then, and so they come with a, a very rich, real Christian faith and tradition, but it's formed and it's shaped differently from all of us. And so maybe they don't understand the concept of worshiping in a sanctuary like this. Uh, maybe they have a much different understanding of what a worship service is and should be. The third world 
is what we call the post-Christendom world. And that is increasingly more and more the world that we live in, in Europe and the Middle East, but even here too. It's the world that is no longer traditional. It's the world where people no longer recognize the church as a positive thing. Uh, maybe they've heard of scandals, um, or maybe they've even been personally affected by scandals with clergy or with financial abuse or different things. And so to them, Christianity is this like, we, we don't want anything to do with that. Stay away from us. Um, we've heard of that, and it's not a good thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so the one is not better than the other. And within a church, you could have all three of these expressions um, all taking place. And so this affects how we do ministry. It's helpful to know where you are, like which, which, uh, which world your church is in or who in your church is in what world. And then that also affects our approach to how we relate to that person and how we do ministry. When... When you were feeling called yourself in missions, was three worlds, was that part of the call? Like, did you, did you, you had a relationship, I assume, with, some, with the organization, and as you prayed about it and thought about it, was that ministering in that context, was that part of the call that you felt? Um, yeah. Or how did that work? How did your call in missions work? We had, so we had always, um, felt kind of a pull growing up, but also in college of cross-cultural ministry. Mm -hmm. And we were able uh, at Anderson to lead several trips all over the place. And during those times, we really felt alive and mm -hmm. felt like, oh gosh, maybe this is what God's mm -hmm. calling us to do. But then it never timed out well, or he would think one place and I'd think a different place and we were never on the same page. But uh, he, Dan felt a call when he was in high school to be a pastor and he felt that he wanted to preach. Uh -huh. And then about 10 years into uh, pastoring, uh, he said, I really feel like God is redefining my call to ministry. And he said, I really feel like uh, it's more to uh, encourage and help train and lead up the next generation of pastors. And about two weeks later, we, we met with Patrick and Jamie Noctegall, who were the regional coordinators for Europe and the Middle East. And they're the ones that designed this concept and, and uh, structured our team, uh, the way that they have in Europe and the Middle East. And he said, oh, we're, we're looking for missionaries, but it's not really the traditional uh, model for missions. We're looking for people that want to um, encourage and train up the next generation of pastors. And whatever he said was verbatim, exactly. what Dan had just said the week before of what he felt God was, was laying on his heart. And so there were numerous times that we really clung to that of like, okay, you know, we're selling everything and we're leaving our families and we had just had Sophie so she was a baby when we ripped her away from the grandparents which was very cruel I know but there were many times that we really held on to that moment of, of what we felt like God was calling us to do your mom's sure. nodding her head back I know sorry mom <laughs> <laughs> you guys can talk to her about that afterwards but but what drew us specifically to Europe and the Middle East was this team concept that we as a team were going to be able to do ministry together because so many missionaries drop out after the first year even because of isolation because it is there are lots of um, challenges that you maybe don't foresee. They're, they're the ones you do foresee, but then there's a lot that you don't foresee. Mm -hmm. And so um, that team-based concept and that it was kind of on the cutting edge of, of addressing this postmodern yeah. ministry definitely was a, a Absolutely. what we felt drawn to. And I would add, um, personally, I really felt called to Europe, um, even for a, a years before this, this moment where she's talking about. Um, and for me, it was a big idea of this world that that our, all of our ancestors for the most part came from, this world that had been like the hub of Christianity and now it's not that anymore. And so kind of reclaiming, um, reclaiming you know, faith and, and supporting individuals, men and women uh, who still hold on to that faith um, and, and kind of recognizing that they're seriously salt and light to their community. You know? 
and um, trying to support them and encourage them to continue doing what they're doing um, so that hopefully someday the tide can again turn and people can think about Europe as being, uh, you know, a center of Christianity. Yeah, you guys, so you guys are in Budapest, Hungary right now. What is, what is Christianity like there, like in that particular place? I know you do ministry kind of all over, but where are you guys currently are? Well, okay, I'll start and jump in. I, I would say uh, this wasn't one of the pre, pre-asked questions. So, <laughs> I'll just know, have fun, man. Okay. I will ask anything um, now. Yeah. 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 Um, uh-huh. I, I would say Hungary is very much uh, a Christian nation in, in the form of, uh, in I think the year 800 or so, around that uh-huh. time, um, um, Hungary became a Christian nation, which at that point, you know, pre Protestant Reformation, of course, meant like what we would recognize now as the Catholic Church. And so um, a lot of native Hungarians uh, would readily identify as a Christian. Um, but that might not really mean anything in terms of personal faith, but just t- cultural identity. They would say, yes, I, I'm a Christian. Certainly, I'm Hungarian, right? Uh, and if you drive around Hungary, it's normal to find you know, Catholic churches all over and other churches as well, but uh, mostly Catholic churches. And uh, I would say, I, I mean, I always hate statistics, not, not only studying it, but even quoting it, because who knows? <laughs> I would say the majority of people um, are not um, believers or would not, uh, if you really press them, they would not identify, yeah, I have personal faith, um, but they would culturally say, yeah, of course I'm Christian. I have Christian values and all that. So, but Especially the younger generations, I think, you know, they're like, well, that's not for us. You know, uh-huh. there's a lot that they're turned off by, uh, by that, even the, even the cultural part. So it's right. kind of saying what is going to be the, the wave of this in the next five years and 10 years, and mm-hmm. how can we address that and maybe have the church be a positive mm-hmm. experience when it hasn't been before. Yeah, in Hungary, you, you talk about young people being right. turned off by the church. I mean, I think every kind of Western nation has that to a certain extent. Um, uh, you know, as, you're, as we're reading right now, most people under, I think most people under 35 believe in miracles. Like, I mean, like a vast majority, yeah. it's like 85 or wow. 80% or something wow. like that. Like, believe in the transcendent. They believe that there probably is a God, all of those sorts of things. So, uh, be- belief in something, right, mm-hmm. and uh, is, is uh, out there, right. but trust in the institutional church uh, right. or a particular God um, is not very prevalent anymore, right. or, right. you know, we were pretty skeptical about those sorts of things. So what are the reasons in Hungary or maybe in, in some of them in Europe? That, yeah. I think if you want to advance the slide or two, uh-huh. let me see what I put up here. <laughs> Oh, sorry. This was a picture when we first uh, landed in the Netherlands. We were in the Netherlands six years, and then the last two years we've been in Budapest. So, so that, that picture is November of 2013. That was our, our day one. Okay. Um, next slide, I think. Oh, yeah, so here's a, a picture of our, our one church in Hungary. Uh, there's, there are four congregations, two that we predominantly work with. This is the church in Budapest, And the next slide is the church in Rakospalata. Um, and if you want to advance a little bit more, I might have you go back here in a second, too, but... Sorry, I keep, keep going a little bit. Here, okay. So these are kind of things that, that are for sure true in Hungary, but we've uh-huh. also found in the Netherlands and the other churches that we work with, um, things that really are um, challenges for, for ministry. And so a, one of us is just what you said about the postmodern secular culture. Everything is just super, super secular. Um, so, for example, uh, in the Netherlands, we had two holidays for Easter, 
you, you got, I mean, no one worked mm -hmm. on Easter Sunday, but no one had school on Easter Monday. It was the second, second day, day of Easter, Easter, and there's two days for Christmas. But if you were to go and ask, you know, a, a random person in the street, well, why, why are you off this Monday? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so, like, even the yeah. idea of what is Easter, right. what does it mean, what do we believe that it means, you know, even though that's why they're not in school that day or work that day, there's just, it's just so secular. That's not part of, of, of yeah, their frame of, of thinking. Um, and second is that there's a missing generation in church. So when you look at um, people between the ages of 20 and 45 in most churches in, in Europe, they're not, they're not sitting here. Um, and I know these are all trends that we also are seeing in America as well. Um, and so I think we're, Europe's a bit, maybe I don't know how many years ahead of, of that. Um, and so part of what, as a team, we would love to do is be able to say, hey, we've noticed this happening in Europe. How can we talk to you as the church in North America of things that are going well that we're seeing traction with as these, these things kind of grow a little bit. And the third one is isolation. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure. So um, here, here in the state of Ohio, Ohio has the, the, the most, the highest number of Church of God congregations of any state in the U.S. I don't know the numbers anymore. I used to know it. It's like 284 or whatever, right? Lots of Church of God congregations. You can travel 10, 10 minutes down the road, and you're going to find not only a church, not only an evangelical church, not only a Protestant church, but a Church of God congregation. Um, in Europe, the Middle East, uh, there are significantly fewer. Uh, let me say this, the, the, the country of Germany, which has the, the most Church of God congregations, they have, I think, 28 different Church of God congregations. In Germany, I don't know the size, how it compares to a state or anything, but if you would drive from one Church of God congregation in Germany, you might go two hours before you'd find another one. Well, outside of Germany, um, it, it's even fewer and more far between. And so. Uh, it's very normal for folks uh, who have a, a Christian faith, a personal faith, a personal belief in Jesus. Uh, it's very difficult for them to find other like-minded believers. And so not only even within like their same denomination, if you will, their same faith group, Church of God or whatever, but just other people who share their beliefs that, yes, we believe in Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he died, that he rose again, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's very rare and hard to find that. Um, and so a lot of people, they just live and work in total isolation in terms of faith and in terms of finding people who share similar or common values with them or even common beliefs. So um, one of the things that, are we going to go to the next one now? The, yeah, no, okay. I'm completely okay. off script okay. here. Okay. So okay. you just, like, um, yeah. Skip to the next slide. I might have you skip back. <laughs> nope, this is it. So our team, Three Worlds, we work with three main goals. Uh, three things that we do, no matter which country we're in. Uh, the first is to engage young people in cross-cultural ministry. We recognize that if we want to have a church uh, in, in the next 20 years, in the next 50 years, certainly, we need the young people. We need to keep them and keep them engaged and train them so that they can lead the church. Um, second thing we do is we support empowered and accountable leaders, especially under the age of 45. So not only do we need young people, but we need younger leaders. Um, we were talking earlier just about uh, when we were first called to be senior pastors and the age that we were at and some of the difficulties of, of finding people who would trust us and believe in us. So I want to say thank you to all of you, not only for supporting us, but for supporting this guy and for bringing him on as your senior pastor because uh, there are many places around the world who would have looked at the age and simply said, nope, too young doesn't know anything. I know a lot more than this person uh, because I'm older. So when, when, when we find young leaders, uh, we really pour into them because we need them. And we need them not only now, but for the future as well. The third thing we do is to create interconnectivity. So a moment ago, we were talking about the difference and the distance between congregations or between 
uh, people who share your values and your beliefs, we try to create interconnectivity. We try to create and host events that bring people into fellowship with each other and that help build bridges so that they know, okay, I'm not alone. There are other people. Yeah, they might live two hours away. And yeah, they might speak a different language as their native tongue, but we can find commonality and we can build relationships. Mm -hmm. So what, are, what did I skip? Okay, good. Yes. Good job. Yeah. Well, what, and so in all of that, what does your guys' day-to-day -day look like? Like, yeah. what, do you, what do you spend time doing to make those sorts of things happen? If you want to go back two slides, I think that there's one that has, like, the bubble-looking thing on it. So about 50% of, of our time um, is with the two churches of God in Hungary. And I, I showed you those pictures earlier, the one in Budapest and one in Rakosh Those are both in, in Budapest. Um, the Danube River splits it into Buddha and Pest. And so um, that is just tracking with them, encouraging the pastors. Most of the pastors we work with are bivocational, so they have families and full-time jobs. And as I, I, we all know, you know, ministry is rough and burnout is really high. And so our team really tries to encourage and support and be cheerleaders and resources for all the pastors that are in the region and, and for the churches themselves. Um, and then specifically for us, uh, Dan uh, is on a board for a, a church in Ostia, just outside of Rome, Italy, and the church in Bulgaria. And so he does quarterly meetings and works with those two churches. I work a lot with our 3W uh, leadership network, 3WLN, and we have events every 18 months. Um, there was a grant in 2015 that we were able to secure that we we're still using to help with these events, but we bring um, young people from all the different countries that have a Church of God presence together in one place, and there's amazing synergy and support and relationship building that happens there that they're able to um, bolster and boost them in their own ministry for the, the next until the next time they're able yeah. to see each other or to get together as well. And then also we track with um, churches in northern Italy and uh, help and work and support them, plus whatever they, else they ask <laughs> us to do. But those are kind of some of the primary things that we get to focus on. So there's no, like, schedule, if you will. There's no, this day looks like this day. It, I mean, every day is different, and every week is different. And so if you are thinking you might be called to missions, I would say if work on your adaptability. That is a, a very highly Absolutely. valued <laughs> adaptability yeah. and, and flexibility. Yeah. What's the most difficult thing for you all right now? Yeah. Walking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I would say, so we were in the Netherlands from November of 2013 until August of 2019. At that point, we relocated to Budapest, Hungary. It's a great time to make an international move six months before a global pandemic. <laughs> um, so we were, we were getting settled and we were making great plans and great plans for learning the Hungarian language and other things, uh, and then COVID came. And so um, I would say, you know, COVID is just kind of, this is true for everyone. COVID has kind of caused us to reevaluate and reassess and change direction and whatever. The Hungarian language is not easy. Um, and we, we've been able to take some um, introductory language classes, uh, but that's something that um, we have a lot of work to do. If we're ever going to be able to get to a point of even being conversational with someone. Um, so that's a big challenge. I would say even just uh, planning, you know, now it's yes, such a yes. hard time to plan. Um, and you know, again, we're flexible and adaptable, yeah. but like it's so exciting to be able to plan things and do that. And there are still a lot of restrictions uh, in Europe and Middle East about travel and how many people can gather and what that needs to look like. So um, our churches in Budapest, just before we came here this summer, they had just been able to be allowed mm -hmm. to meet online starting in June or in person starting in June. And so um, it had been since uh, October of last year mm -hmm. in, until June of this year that they were 
not allowed to meet in person even the at Hungarian all. Hungarian borders were closed September 1st of 2020 until this past July. Um, and so, it's, yeah, just like, is that when we go back here after Christmas, is it going to be like that again? Um, we, you know, we've trying to do our best with Zoom and online things and, and keeping mm -hmm. events happening um, virtually. But yeah, we all know that when you're face to face, yeah. like you can, you can process and dream and make things happen in a whole different way than you can on Zoom when you're trying to figure out did they freeze or what happened and yeah. you know, reading body language and just the energy it takes to have that conversation in person, it's, it just flows so much better. So yeah, we're just yeah. trying to figure out what, um, where, where to pour energy yes. into and when. I, um, she mentioned a moment ago that I work with a church in, in Bulgaria, in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. And uh, I just saw this morning before we had service here that uh, a new restriction is in place for them. And so they are meeting, or I guess they're meeting now because they meet in the afternoon. So they're meeting now. Um, but starting this week, uh, they had to not only be socially distanced, but they had to also have um, like a registration card showing that either they've t had the vaccine or tested negative or whatever. And, and that's not a, a congregational decision, but that's a, a, a government thing. And so, you know, I suppose they can do what they want, but if a government worker would come in to check, which is always a possibility, then they could be in some serious hot water. So just the, the restrictions, even COVID-wise, are always kind of changing and morphing. And we're dealing with, you know, Hungarian ones, Bulgarian ones, Italian ones, German ones, and et cetera, et cetera, wherever we're gonna go or work, so. Sophie speak Hungarian better than you two? Yes, she, she also speaks Dutch way better than we did. She was in a Dutch school um, until we moved to Budapest, yeah. and she was very proud of that. That she <laughs> Way better than mom and dad. Um, and then now she's at a, an international school, and so it's in English, but there are other kids around her that you know, are missionary kids. Or, so that's a really neat benefit, and they do take Hungarian lessons there. But she's, yeah. she's got that natural kind of, there's some guttural sounds and things that we sound like we're sick when we try to make right. them, but she can yeah. get them, so... You have COVID when you say it. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Everything's you have COVID while you speak Hungarian. Um, do, what do you think COVID will do to the churches that are there? Like, you know, are people going to come back? I mean, here yeah. a lot of the predictions are a lot of people aren't going to come back. Yeah. I would say, uh, I'm going to say a few things and then jump in. Yeah. I would say uh, our, our two main congregations in Budapest, outside of the Budapest area, uh, I would say that they're probably not going to lose anyone uh, through COVID in person. Yes. Uh, as soon as it's possible for people to come back, um, I think pretty much everyone's going to be there. Uh, and some of that, again, goes to the, the three main challenges, isolation. And so uh, for them, it, I don't want this to sound bad, but it's just the reality. I think church generally, stereotypically, means a lot more to them than it does Americans mm -hmm. because it's like their family, you know? I think here so often we can, we can value church but we can also be like, yeah, but I mean, the game's on early this week. The Bengals are playing in London, I'm gonna watch, or whoever you root for. <laughs> a lot of Browns um, fans I know, here. I know, I know, that's okay. A few of the other That's team okay. from the state yeah, of Pennsylvania right. that we won't talk about. We're in the Lord's house, don't yeah. say that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, here, you know, we can value church and, and we can love it, but I think there, uh, the, it means more to them a lot of times. And so I don't think they will lose uh, people through COVID, um, yeah. but with that said, let me say as a prayer request, um, can you go on the slides? Can you go back to, I think? I think I put them ahead. All right, no, um, well, <laughs> did you go backwards or forwards to get to that? You went back to, go forward one. Nope, other way. <laughs> do you want to push that down? Yes, I do. Yeah, go ahead and go all the way to the That one, that one, okay. 
So this guy right here, um, this is a big prayer request for you all. Um, his name is, is Laszlo. He's uh, one of our, our pastors that we primarily work with there. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. I, I would love for him to be here. I would love for you all to meet him. He's an amazing man of God. And I mean that in, in you know, the absolute truth. I'm not just saying positive things to say them. He's unbelievable. Um, he developed uh, on his arm, on his wrist, uh, a ganglion cyst like two or three years ago. And so he was told, it's just a ganglion cyst. Don't worry about it. Um, well, last, last year, um, something was different with it. And so he went back to the doctor to get it checked out. And they told him, we're only dealing with life and death COVID situations right now. That's just a cyst. Please just leave. So he did. Well, this year, um, this summer, things had changed. It looked different. It was bigger. The color was different. And he went back and said, no, that's, that's not a cyst. That's cancer. That's sarcoma. Um, so... Um, we, we don't know, to be honest, what the future is going to hold. Um, the good news and the incredible praise is that recently he had a CT scan and it showed that the cancer had not spread, which means, as from what they've told him, he's not going to die from this. But still, um, we're not sure what's going to happen. Uh, so he's undergoing chemotherapy and radiation now, and they uh, have told him that probably near the end of this year uh, they will do a surgery. Um, and remove it, but they don't know exactly what that's going to involve. Um, it might, so they might remove his arm or a part of his arm. So, and he's a gifted musician, and his job is IT. So he, yes, he uses his hand a lot. But yeah, we're so just praying for his family. He's a, a, ser a very serious prayer request. Pray for Pastor Laszlo and his family and the church in Hungary. Um, but this is a COVID thing, so he doesn't yeah. have COVID. Yeah. But um, had he been able to get uh, get evaluated last year uh, during COVID? Who knows uh, what things would look like right now, if they would be much better, if they'd be the same. I mean, who knows? But um, so COVID has not only changed things in terms of how we worship and everything. Uh, I don't think we're going to lose people from the congregations because of it, as I said. But um, there are other negative ramifications um, from COVID. And part of our job, too, is with something called Europe X, which is a church planting and multiplication initiative in the region. And you know, everyone's just so exhausted and pastors burned out and exhausted and um it takes a lot of energy to plant a church and start something new. And so I think mm -hmm. there's going to be a period of just reevaluating a little bit or kind of healing a little bit before we were able to do some of the things that were right. We were on the cusp of getting ready to do those, you know, right before everything happened. So me praying for all those things too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I always make my staff do this, make the kids do it too at dinner table, something positive. What's share a positive story, something going on with three worlds or with your ministry. Uh -huh. Um, and then uh, we'll, I'll say a few things and we're going to pray for you. So, yeah. If you want to go to the last slide, too, it has uh -huh. a picture, another picture of Laszlo and just some of the things you can do to, to follow us a little bit. I don't, it's hard to, to read, sorry, but you can ask us at the table. Um, so, we mentioned Pastor Laszlo, one of our two main pastors in Budapest. The other guy is Pastor Petty. Um, I, I would like to ask you to also pray for Pastor Petty, like, like Peter, if you will. Um, he is not only pastoring his congregation now, but he's also kind of assumed the role of pastor of Laszlo's congregation as Laszlo goes through these, um, these health issues. Um, six months ago, Petty's congregation decided to host a, I don't know what to call it, like a drive to collect things. I don't know what the words are for that. Uh, but they, they collected items um, to give out as a, as a thank you and as a blessing to the local medical workers who have been working around the clock, you know, for the last 18 months. And so 
it was an incredible thing that it, it started with one congregation. Pastor Petty said, hey, I'd like to have this day. We'll collect things. Bring whatever you can, whatever you want, whatever you think they would like to get. So some of them, they brought like little pre-made coffee drinks, you know, in a can or whatever. Some of them brought little various snack packs. Some brought bottles of wine. It's, it's Europe, so. <laughs> uh, they brought all these different things to give out to the doctors and the nurses. But uh, a lot of the people, as they were doing it, they were so excited about it that they shared it with their friends, with their neighbors, with their coworkers. Uh, and they said, can we help? And so a lot of people started saying, can we bring stuff? We don't go to that church and we don't believe in that stuff, but this is a good idea. This is a good thing. Can we bring stuff? Uh, and so it became, uh, it, it spread like wildfire. They made a Facebook page and then, uh, shared a ton, like 10,000 hits or something. Yeah. Um, Pastor Petty was interviewed on a national television news show asking about this thing. And so it just, they got a lot of, of positive, um, uh, I don't know what the words, attraction, if you will, uh, about this. And so uh, that was a really cool thing that during the pandemic, uh, they were able to come together and not only put on some positive thing to thank people, but also through that, they were able to make connections with, uh, you know, co uh, coworkers and neighbors and people who were able to see the church in action, who were able to see the church being the hands and feet of Jesus, doing positive things, not uh, self-serving things that, that benefited them, but things that helped others. So that was a really cool thing that happened. And the, I'll add on to that. Is, uh, on the, in the picture with Pastor Laszlo's family, uh, they had a baptism service a couple weeks ago, and he was able to baptize his son, Donnie, the oldest boy there. And uh, how many people were supposed to be baptized? I think there were, there ended, I don't know how many were supposed. There I think ended it was up being like five or yeah, seven. There, there ended up being be seven who were baptized. I don't know if that was the intention, but that number got no, baptized. No, but like, okay, so like, point was there's a small number that were supposed to be baptized but during the service I think it was maybe like several more came Something through like yeah. so I think maybe three were supposed to be baptized and then another four yeah. if I did the math right another four decided during the service and so I know that's maybe not you know maybe it sounds like small numbers but that is a huge amount um, for the people and the fact that you know the spirit was in that service it was such an encouragement especially with the family going through so many things yeah. and both churches are able to come together and be there for, for that yeah. so the unity and the encouragement um, and yeah just the thankfulness amidst all the, the trials and stuff over the past couple of years has been a beautiful thing to see that's awesome that's awesome any other way we can pray for you guys we're gonna go prayer and prayer here in a few minutes but anything else I think we're just we're still determining when we're going to buy our return ticket. Like I said, it should be after Christmas. But just for wisdom with that and our transition back, with Sophie's school and bye to family and all the, the hard things about the transition back. But we're also excited to be back in our house and yeah. get back into it. Um, long story short, I had knee surgery in January, broke my kneecap. Um, it was fixed, didn't go well. In August in Indiana, uh, I had a, a corrective surgery. Um, I've been in physical therapy ever since then. It's going fantastic, but um, my range of motion is, you know, it's better than it was before the accident. Um, <laughs> but uh, the muscle strength is, is still a work in progress. So um, if you don't mind, keep praying just for, for that to continue to go well, um, not only for me, but for her so I can like help do stuff instead of just sitting around asking her to bring me things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't like that? <laughs> he likes that. Yeah, I'll say this. <laughs> It's like testing our marriage vows. So, yeah, yeah, there true. you go. For worse, right? <laughs> for true. better or worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sickness and in. And so, yeah, yeah. So. We just want to say thank you, too, to, for all of you guys, too, for your support and your prayers for us. And um, we know that you lift us up often in our region. And so we just thank you for your faithfulness and how you've blessed our family and the ministry that we get, yeah. we're fortunate enough to get to do. 
and hopefully this goes without saying, but know that we're praying for you as well. Um, and, you know, we, we, I mentioned that we speak with Ruby every now and then. And so if there's ever a prayer request, um, feel free to send them to us or have her send them to us, whichever. And um, we'll be praying for all of you, certainly in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I do want to share as a church kind of some of the things, how we support missions and go about that. I think it's important for us to know this. And I probably don't go over it enough, but our, our budget for missions... Um, is near $20,000. All of this goes to support missionaries and missions. Um, most of this goes to foreign missions. Some of it goes uh, to national missions here within the United States. Uh, this money is specifically dedicated um, to that through what we have called our Faith Promise Budget. And you can give to that specifically, this is not the general budget, um, by going online uh, now, it's, it's easiest to just go online and you can go to donate and click down to Faith Promise and you can give. Every dollar that you give to Faith Promise goes to missions. As a church in our general budget, when you give to our general budget, we give roughly 10% away. Um, that goes other places as well, um, both locally and sometimes internationally. Um, this goes to people like uh, Daniel and, and Christy Kim. Um, and different missionaries that we support around the world when you do that. So we encourage you to do that. We encourage you to kind of give above and beyond. And I'm going to talk about that in one second here because here's the thing that I think we should all do with missions um, and how we think about missions in the church. The first thing I think that we all should do is pray. We really should pray uh, for our missionaries and missions. Uh, it's what uh, God has a heart for missions and for missionaries, and we should be going to the heart of God on their behalf. It's one of the reasons that we pray every week for a missionary. It's one of the reasons that we highlight a missionary every month um, and talk about what they're doing uh, because we want to make sure that we are praying and uh, thinking about uh, those that um, God has sent out to the nations. And so I really encourage you to pray for them. Everybody can pray. Uh, the second thing I would encourage you to potentially do is go. Um, you may never go to Budapest Hungary and, and see what Christy and Kim, are, or Christy and Kim. <laughs> that happens all the time. Yeah, Dan, Daniel and Christy are doing. Now, you might not visit them specifically, but you might go on other mission trips. I know we've taken some to Guatemala and you have been other places. It really does, when you go, it opens, it, it's really a blessing to you. When you think about Abraham going to bless other people, it's a blessing to you. You get to meet people who are a part of the kingdom of God and worship God in different ways um, uh, and uh, you get to hear that every tongue that you're talking about sometimes, which is really cool, um, seeing people worship, but it, it reminds you of the importance of missions. And not only that, the largeness of Christianity um, and, and what it looks like. And so going helps with that. And so some of you in the future might have an opportunity uh, to go on a mission trip and really pray about that and think about that uh, strongly. And if you get the opportunity, take it. Uh, and then finally is give. I do encourage everybody to give uh, to missions. Um, again, for us as a church, we give, we ask that you give through Faith Promise so that we make sure that we can continue to support to people uh, that you do. Um, we encourage you to give to the church. This is, this is just who we are and what we do. We encourage you to give 10% to the general budget of uh, your finances and to commit to that and um, to commit to beyond that actually uh, above and beyond that to give to missions and so one way that we encourage you to do it anything that kind of comes in maybe that you're not expected and you don't you don't need or you just want to make a sacrifice 
um, we really encourage you to, to give the faith promise. Some of you pledge at the beginning of the year, and you know you're going to give X amount, and you do that month by month, and that is a great thing, and it really helps um, our faith promise budget out. Uh, a lot of times for me, I'll just tell you how I do it a lot of times, is if I'm able to make extra money, whether it be in a speaking engagement or this or that, a lot of times that ends up kind of in the faith promise budget um, and it gives to that sort of thing. And so sometimes for a lot of people, I know it's just unexpected income uh, that you didn't necessarily really need. Um, we all have a lot. Most of us have a lot in this room and have more than what we need. And um, this is one place that we encourage you to give uh, that to. And so um, uh, if you uh, haven't give, given or don't give to Faith Promise, we encourage you to do that, um, whether it's a one-time gift or a continual thing throughout the year. Um, we strongly encourage that. I want to thank uh, you all for being here this morning. Um, we love having you. Uh, we love getting to support you. And, uh, you know, make sure that you're sharing your prayer request uh, with us in this congregation. And I know Ruby does keep up with those. And uh, she loves praying with you and loves letting us know what's going on. And so that's a big help to, to us as well who, wants to be, who want to be people who are serious uh, about the Great Commission. So I appreciate that. Um, and love you guys, and, and just thank you for being here. We give them a round of applause, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer. <laughs> I'm going to um, ask if uh, you'd just mind if we pray for you. Um, if uh, you just in your seats want to kind of bow your heads, and uh, um, maybe if, if you want to kind of reach out to them, usually we would lay hands on, our, uh, on them, but with COVID and everything else going on, um, we won't do that. And uh, we'll, we'll just remain where we're at. And then we'll so let's do that and let's pray. Father, right now we come to you and we give you praise and thanks. We give you praise and thanks because you are a God who still calls. You are a God who enters into relationship with us and calls us to yourself. To be your people through Jesus Christ. You call us in to your love and to your mission and to all that you would have for us. And then you call us not just to you, but to go for you. We all have a purpose within the kingdom of God, and it all, is it a, for all of us, it is to make disciples. For all of us, it is to spread your goodness, your kindness, your love, your mercy. It's to be a holy people so that we'd be set apart. To bless you. And to be a blessing to the nations. And at this time, Father, we give you thanks for Daniel and Christy Kemp. We give you thanks for their daughter, Sophie. We give you thanks for the way that they have obeyed you and answered the call. We give you thanks that they were able to spend this time in the States and to be with family and friends, perhaps they have grown up with or haven't seen in a while. We thank you for hopefully what has been somewhat of a restful time for them. And we pray, we pray, Father, that if 
they have needed renewed, that you have renewed their strength. As we think about this, we think about Daniel's knee. We pray that he continues to recover and that you build the muscles around his knee so that he can walk without help. And that's so Christy doesn't have to bring him stuff all the time. We pray, Father, for their ministry and their work. I pray that they wouldn't grow weary in well-doing. I pray, Father, that they would enjoy their work, that as they see what you're doing in the midst of, of Europe and in Hungary and in Budapest, Father, that they uh, see how your spirit is moving and they, they are filled with joy because of that. We pray for these pastors that they've asked us to pray for, both, uh, I think, Lasco. Father, we pray that you would heal him of his cancer, that he would be able to keep his arm and that you'd be with the doctors and everybody who's evaluating him at this time, that you give them wisdom and discernment and that they would be able to care for him in a way that he would be able to continue to minister in the way that he has and be successful. We pray for the Spirit's continued movement in his life. We pray for comfort. We pray, Father, that no matter what happens, that uh, what he is going through right now will be a testimony to your goodness. And we pray, pray for Peter. I pray that you continue to use him to expand the kingdom of God, that you would lift him up and that he would continue to be a pastor who loves his people and spreads the gospel. We pray for Daniel and Christy as they get ready to uh, try to figure out um, how to get back to where you have sent them that you would help them with the logistics, that everything would go smoothly. And that as they return, Father, that they would be glad for their time here, but that they would be excited for what is ahead of them. I pray that they go knowing that they will be in our prayers and support it. Let us as a church be the kind of people we pray for and love our missionaries. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. I want to leave you this morning with this benediction. As you go, you get